0: Everybody, my name is James Stevenson. I am one of the associate pastors here at Halifax Christian Church, and we're going to start things off a little bit different. We start off with a story, the Christmas story. So, if you want to get comfortable and settle in, as we read the Christmas story, there was once a girl named Mary who lived in Galilee. She lived long years ago. But such a wonderful thing happened to her that we remember and love her still. One day an angel appeared to Mary. You are blessed among women, the angel said, for you shall have a son, whom you shall name Jesus. He shall be called the Son of God, and his kingdom shall never end. I am glad to serve the Lord, said Mary. May it be as you have said. Then the angel left her. Mary married a good man from Nazareth. His name was Joseph, and he was a carpenter by trade. When Joseph had to go from Nazareth up to Bethlehem in Judea to pay his taxes in his father's town, Mary went with him. It was a long, weary journey for her. When they reached Bethlehem at last, they found many travelers there before them. The streets were full of cheerful, jostling kinsmen. The inns were crowded to the doors. Though Joseph asked shelter only for his wife, Every innkeeper turned them away. At last one innkeeper, seeing Mary's weariness and need, showed them to a stable full of warm, sweet hay. There Mary brought forth her son, and she wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in the manger, since there was no room for them in the inn. There were in that same country shepherds in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them in shining glory, and they were all afraid. But the angel said to them, There is nothing to fear. I come to bring you news of great joy, which shall come to all people. For a child is born this day in Bethlehem, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign to you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly the sky was full of angels, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, good will toward men. When the angels disappeared into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried to the town and found Mary and Joseph, and the babe lying in the manger. Afterwards the shepherds told everyone they met, about the child. At Christmas time we hear this story told again and again, and again, it's done in books, it's done in movies, it's done in plays, poems, and songs. And we've done such a good job of making it into this, this cute little Christmas story where the baby Jesus is found lying in a manger, and, and, and everything's good. The animals are totally calm. They're not freaking out because there's a kid in the trough. Um, and then, and then these, these wise men show up, and, and they bring gifts that very night which isn't part of the actual story, it happens many years later. And and, and for some reason, in some stories, a drummer shows up and plays the kid a song. And we've done a really good job of making it into a cute story, but we've almost lost the magnitude and the relevance of this scripture to our lives in making it this way. Because some people would, would hear this, and they'd think it's almost amongst the likes of a Christmas Carol, or Frosty the Snowman, or, or Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, it's no longer the Word of God to some people. And what I want us to do this morning is to look at Luke's encounter with the shepherds. Um, Luke, he wasn't trying to write a bestseller. He, he, he's just trying to get the Word of God, tell the story as best he can to his audience, present the facts, because Luke's a doctor. All he wants is the facts. He's not making this story anything more than what it was. So as we read this, I want you to pretend you're hearing this story for the first time. This is Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. That night, being the night Jesus was born, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. Glory to God in highest heaven, and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem, let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby, lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherds' story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. And this story starts with the shepherds. The shepherds are out in the field. They're they're minding their business. They're doing what shepherds do. They're watching their sheep. And it's a regular night. Then all of a sudden... The, the sky is filled with this bright light, which is described as the glory of God. And there in front of them in the sky is an angel, most likely Gabriel, because he's appeared to Mary and Joseph previous in this uh, Savior's birth timeline. And, and he brings this news after he gets the shepherds to calm down. What he says is, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Now for the shepherds, this is amazing news, because they've been waiting for the Savior to be born for thousands upon thousands of years. God's been promising it again and again and again in Scripture. And the time has come. The promise starts in Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 to 15. This is where God first preaches the gospel. He says this, God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head, and he will strike his heel this is referring to when God tells Satan, the serpent, that there's going to be a man born of a woman, God's son, who's going to deal the crushing blow to you, Satan. And today for us, we can flip through the Old Testament and we see Jesus fulfills this Old Testament prophecy. Jesus is the Messiah. Or Jesus will fulfill this prophecy. But for the Jewish people, they had no clue who this Messiah was going to be. They're just waiting for him. They're anticipating the birth of the promised Savior of the world. And they look forward to it because you can listen to how he's described in Scripture. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 4 to 7. This is how they describe the Messiah. For you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms bloodstained by war will all be burned. They will be fuel for the fire. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. And so, when God's people hear a Savior, what they envision is somebody who's going to protect, protect, provide, um, preserve, and deliver their people. When they hear the word Savior, what they envision is somebody who's going to be a political leader or warrior because the Jewish nation was constantly being harassed or uh, picked on essentially by the surrounding nations. At this time, they're under Rome's captivity. The Roman Empire extends into their territory, and they're trying to throw off Rome's oppression. And often because of their own disobedience, they were just being harassed, again, by other countries. The list goes from Egypt or Syria, Babylon, Greece, Rome, Persia, Philistines, Amalekites, the Hittites, and I'm probably missing quite a few. They were constantly being picked on. And it seemed like once one country moved off and and was gone as the bully, a new one moved in to just pick on them. So they're expecting a savior who's going to come and kind of restore them back to their glory days when they were at the top of the food chain, when they were with King David and his son Solomon. Some Jews are looking for a savior who's, who's going to deliver them from sickness, from physical hardships. Because when we read the gospels or even in the Old Testament, we see that people were constantly dealing with, with different kinds of physical hardships, whether it would be um, being mute, being blind, being deaf, handicaps, skin diseases like leprosy, even demon position, possession. The Jewish people are looking for a savior who will heal them from these hardships, all these conditions that plague their lives. So the shepherds, hearing that this Savior has been born today in Bethlehem, they're like, let's go check it out. Let's go see if what the angels have said is true. Now, my wife and I, um, we have a three-month-year-old son. His name is Seth. And when I think back to the night he was born, um, it was a time of extreme happiness, but also a time of extreme exhaustion. Um, My wife... She was in labor for about 70 hours, so that makes her the toughest woman in the world. Um, and she finally, she finally had Seth, and, and after she got out of recovery, we were going up to her hospital room, and she's exhausted, um, she's kind of dopey because of drugs and stuff like that. But we were getting up there, we are both exhausted, and it was good, her family was there to kind of welcome us into our room, and here it's, get to see Seth. But after that, all I wanted to do was sleep, um, and that's, that's, that was what was on my mind. And like nurses were coming, and they're trying to relay information, and like I'm on the cot next door, and I fell asleep for most of it, I know. But if a stranger showed up that night, and was like, knock, 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 we want to see your son, my response would have been, go away, who are you, just leave. Don't come back. Now Mary and Joseph, they've traveled over 130 kilometers by foot or some other primitive mode of transportation. And they finally get to town, and there's nothing left. There's no hotel rooms. There's nothing available. And the baby is coming. So what they do is take the best thing that has been offered, and they opt for a stable. Now this isn't as clean and cute of a story as we try and make it out to be, because Mary and Joseph probably weren't thrilled about their conditions. I mean, it stinks like animals. It's it's loud. It's noisy. It's chaotic. And Mary finally has Jesus and, and she's she's trying to rest. She's tired after the journey and giving birth. And Joseph is probably stressed out of his mind because he's probably just had to help deliver God in the flesh, and then God in the flesh is lying in a manger's trough, and he's thinking, as for raising this child, this isn't a great start. And then shepherds show up, and they're like, "We want to see your baby." Can you imagine being Mary and Joseph in that situation? And shepherds at this time, they're not—they're not what we make them out to be in these stories. If the author of this scripture, Luke, was trying to write a bestseller, he would have included some important religious person who shows up. He would have said a king would show up to see the savior of the world. But no, God sent shepherds. And shepherds were social outcasts. They were considered to be rough, dishonest, and they were unclean according to Mosaic law. And so these shepherds show up, and they're like, We want to see your baby. And Mary and Joseph are probably wondering why. (laughs) And so the shepherds go on to tell them angels have appeared to us tonight. (laughs) They told us that this child, lying in the manger, is the Son of God. He is the Savior of the world. And for Mary and Joseph at this point, this is confirmation that what God had said about this child to them previously is true, that this indeed is the Son of God, that this is the Savior of the world. It says that Mary treasured these things in her heart. She cherished them. She thought about them often, that this child was no ordinary child, that there was something special about him. But I want to go back to the angel's words. And the angel says that this child's birth is good news to all people and will bring all people joy. Now the Jews' idea of a savior it's, its pretty exclusive because this savior was going to deliver just the Jewish nation, bring them back to the top. And, and the physical healing and being a great doctor, that doesn't necessarily apply to all people. So. This Savior has to be more in the Jewish people's idea of a Savior. Whatever the good news about this child is, it has to apply to God-fearing Jewish people like Mary and Joseph who, who, who knew the scriptures where God promised again and again and again that I'm going to send you a Savior. This good news about this child, it has to apply to social outcasts, to, to the spiritually unclean people like the shepherds, because God sends angels to them and says, Come see the Savior of the world. It has to apply to non-Jewish people. Because a few years later, the wise men show up. They follow the star to come worship the newborn king. This child is a Savior to everyone. This, the, the other qualifier for the angel's message to be true is that it has to have the potential to bring every person joy. Now, have you ever tried to define joy? I was trying to put it into words as I was writing this, and I had a lot of difficulty. Um, I went to dictionaries, and what they would do is, they'd say, joy is basically some sort of emotion. Some dictionaries would say, joy is happiness. But then you think about it, yes, I can experience joy and happiness at the same time, but how do you explain joy at a funeral, when that's not a happy time? but you still experience joy in those times. So joy cannot simply be happiness. Some people will say that joy is peace. And it's easy to say that I'm I'm having a joyful time, or there's joy in my life when everything is smooth, and, and there's no stress, and everything's going according to plan. But yet when life is falling apart, when stress is piling up, how do you explain when there's still joy in a person's life? So joy can't simply be peace. Some people would say that joy is pleasure, it's delight, that you enjoy something. But we get bored with things. Faces end, but joy still remains. So joy cannot simply be delighting or enjoying something. Joy is not simply an emotion. But this Savior who brings joy, again, it has to be applicable to all people. And all people experience happiness, peace, pleasure, and delight for different reasons. So it's not simple emotion. The reason that the Savior brings all people joy has to be something that's common to every person who's ever lived. It needs to transcend every type of barrier there is in existence. It needs to be available and accessible by everyone. And for the angel to show up and say, I bring you good news of great joy that's going to be for all people, this can't simply just be a nonchalant phrase. It, it, it has to be truth because this is the messenger of God sent with a message from God to people. This has to be truth. But it's a huge statement to back up that this is the savior of the world, good news for all people. It needs to bring joy to all people. So there must be an issue. There must be something that all people need to be saved from in order for this Savior to be good news and bring joy to all people. Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it says, For all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. They they fail to live up to God's standard. And, And later on in chapter 6, verse 23, Paul says, the byproduct, the wages, the fruit from sin is death, physical and spiritual death, hell. And, and, and we see that's what scripture says. Every person who's ever exists wrestles with this. And it's hard to dispute the fact that most people, everybody, sins. and Every person faces death. You can't dispute that. Now the angel announces that this child... Christ the Messiah. God in the flesh. He's going to deliver. He's going to protect. He's going to provide for His people. Now, the Jewish people's idea of the Savior, again, is pretty exclusive. Somebody who's going to deal with symptoms or surface issues, make them look as a powerful nation or, or heal them of their diseases. Those are symptoms. It's not the core issue. It's not the cause of all problems. Where God says, I'm going to send you a Savior that is greater than any man would ever dream of. God's promised Savior is going to be relevant to all people throughout all history. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 to 7. Paul speaks about the birth of Jesus the Savior. He says this, But when the right time came, God sent his Son, born of a woman, subject to the law, God sent him to buy freedom for us who are slaves to the law, so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Now this, this, this scripture says that God has placed the spirit of his son into your life, Later, if you read in Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit in your life, one of the byproducts of that is joy, which God promises in Luke 2 that this Savior is going to bring joy to all people's lives. But when you and I hear the word Savior, what do we think? Do we kind of follow the pattern that the Jews had and say, this, this Savior is... It's kind of limited to our expectations. It's for people who are similar to us, who have beliefs and lifestyles that match ours. Do we limit Jesus as Savior to our own expectations of what a Savior would do? That deals with symptoms and not the core issue. Because every day we encounter people who are far away from Jesus, who are far away from God for different reasons. Maybe it's sin they have in their lives right now. Maybe it's baggage in the past. Hurts from the church or, or another Christian that they just can't get over. Maybe it's a cultural or a religious or, or some other faith difference that they just need to get over that barrier. But my question is, do we let people approach the Major to see the child, the savior of the world? Are we willing to let them do that? just as Mary and Joseph saw the shepherds who were totally different than them, but still said, come see the Savior of the world. Do we bring people to the manger? Do we bring people to the Savior of the world and and let them know that salvation is found in no one else, that there's no other name under heaven given by which men must be saved? Do we do that? Because Jesus was not born to deal with symptoms. He was born to deal with the core issue every human grapples with, which is sin. He wasn't born to save political systems, traditions, cultures, or religion. Jesus isn't just the savior of physical bodies, but Jesus is the savior of humanity. His mission was clear. He was sent to redeem humanity from sin and to make us new. Again, he deals with. core issue, not symptoms. I want to read Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 to 7. Paul writes here, he says, Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Remember how the angels said to the shepherds that this is peace for all men with whom God's favor rests. What joy is, is the peace of God. Joy comes from being in a relationship with those where we know that Jesus paid the price for sin on the cross, but that he's defeated death in his resurrection. That we can be set free to live the life that God has intended for us to live. Since the beginning of time, joy is incomprehensible. It goes beyond emotion. It goes beyond our knowledge, and it can only be experienced in a relationship with Jesus as King and Savior. So that when the economy runs or goes bad, it fails, or our money runs out, or we lose our job, joy can still remain. When when our culture or our traditions change joy can still remain. When our bodies start to let us down, when we get sick, when we're close to death, joy still remains. When our favorite sports team loses again and again and again, joy still remains. Because Jesus is still Savior, and our home and our hope is with Him and in Him. Joy remains because Jesus will always be King and savior. The shepherds, after they're, they're finished up the manger, they leave. And as they encounter people, they tell them about this child. And, and they return back to their fields where they were, glorifying and praising God about what they had just seen. Now, I know this, this story is familiar to most of us. And the message of sin and death and God's forgiveness is nothing new to many of us. But here's the thing, if this story that we really only break out at Christmas time is is more than just a story, if it's the word of God, if it's scripture, and we see that Jesus' birth is good news to all people, that it can bring joy and peace with God through a relationship with him. And we see that all men wrestle with sin, and unless forgiven, will face the, the fruit, the byproduct, they'll face death. What are we going to do about it? What is the natural reaction to be telling people that the Savior has been born, that Jesus has dealt with sin, that Jesus has dealt with death? I think so. And I know, again, that <laughs> encouraging people to go tell the world about Jesus is nothing new. And I, I admit it's not an easy thing to always do. And our goal is to help you do this as best we can. Last week, Jim mentioned that we had printed up invitations to our Christmas Eve service. And what we want to do is encourage you to take some more or pick some up for the first time, and take these to the people who are in your fields, the places where you work, the places where you play, the places where you live, and invite them to our Christmas Eve service next Saturday night at 6.30, where we're going to worship and praise the Savior of the world. Just like when the angel appeared as light to the shepherds in the dark fields, God's forgiveness appears in our lives regardless of how dark they might be. It says forgiveness is here. It's found in Jesus Christ. Maybe God keeps bringing you back to church to hear about the Savior, just like He brought the shepherds to the manger. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I encourage you, to do that, to make Him your Lord and Savior. Because you meet the qualifications set out in the Scripture. You fall into the category of all people. You fall into the category of somebody who needs forgiveness. So if you want to make Jesus your King and Savior, please join me up at the front as we sing our next song. If you're not comfortable with that, please don't go home without talking to myself or one of the other pastors about this. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the child in the danger. Father, we thank you that this child was the Savior of the world, that his birth is good news to all men, that there can be joy because we can have peace with God. Because of this child, Would grow up to be a man who deals with sin and death. Father God, I just pray that we would look at this this scripture as it really is, can see that it has immense magnitude and relevance to our lives. Father, that the Savior has been born. That you have dealt with the main issue. The presence of your sons, awesome and holy name. Amen.